0: Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hey, church, I'm Katie. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the lead evangelist here at Galileo Church. I'm really glad to see y'all tonight. I'm glad to welcome people who are at home joining us online tonight. Thanks for being here. We're in the second week of this worship series called Begin Again. It's for the epiphany season, and during these several weeks together, we're looking back at the human family's origin story in Genesis 1 and 2. And over these several weeks, we'll be reading and rereading these texts again and again in order to pull out themes that are supposed to help us locate ourselves, locate ourselves in this world that God has made, and locate ourselves in the heart of God. Last week, we read, not quite, but almost the entirety of Genesis chapter 1. We read through all six days of creation. This week, we're going to rewind all the way back to the top of Genesis 1, but we'll only be reading tonight about God's creative work in the first four days. I want to point out that on the tables among you, for those of us here in the barn, there are some tiny little bottles of nail polish. That's for your use tonight. Maybe you'll want to paint... I don't know, one or five or 10 or 20 of your nails while we're here, while we're reading scripture and preaching tonight. Maybe you want to take some home to use it later. It's for your use. Do with it what you want. And I hope there's none of it left tonight when we all leave. So if you know someone who might like it, uh, feel free. But if you want to paint tonight, if, it, if you can listen while you're uh, playing around with that, that's awesome. If you're at home, maybe you've got some nail polish or a Sharpie marker or something you could adorn yourself with. <laughs> While I read from Genesis 1, I want to invite you also to do some hand motions, if you will, that will just help us be a little more attentive to the reading. Whenever I say that something is getting separated, when something is separating, just use your hands to separate. And whenever the text says that something is being gathered, just use your hands to gather. Okay? just It'll just help us listen together. Genesis 1. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. let the earth put forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind, bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. in which I will make a theological argument for making your bed every day of the world, because it is an essentially creative act and because it is a practice of justice, and because my grandmother said so. But first, a poem by the renowned, beloved Cynthia Ryland, author of such esteemed works as The Relatives Came and Dog Heaven. This is the title poem from Cynthia Ryland's collection, God Went to Beauty School. With apologies for the masculine pronouns for the deity in this poem, somehow I would rather change those in the poetry of Genesis than in Cynthia Ryland's poem. Go figure. God Went to Beauty School. He went there to learn how to give a good perm, and ended up just crazy about nails. So he opened up his own shop. Nails by Jim, he called it. He was afraid to call it Nails by God. He was sure people would think he was being disrespectful and using his own name in vain, and nobody would tip. He got into nails, of course, because he had always loved Hands, hands were some of the best things he had ever done and this way he could just hold one in his and admire those delicate bones just above the knuckles, delicate as birds wings. And after he had done that a while, he could paint all the nails any color he wanted and then say, beautiful, and mean it. For a couple hundred years, Christian theologians argued about it, about whether God should get credit for creating everything that is out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo in Latin like a genie blinking her eyes and new matter appearing, new atoms that previously did not exist suddenly existing in the form of a new Lamborghini in your garage, not stolen or transported to your garage from a car lot, not the atoms of your Subaru suddenly rearranged just so, but creatio ex nihilo, creation from nothing in direct defiance of the law of conservation of mass and energy, a law to which everything that is, is subject. Some early theologians argued that God's creative acts must conform not to the laws of physics, which hadn't yet been posited, but to the philosophical dictum, ex nihilo nihil fit, or nothing comes from nothing. In other words, every creative act begins with something. So that creation, even God's creation in Genesis, is more like transformation than magic. More on that in a minute. Well, the ex nihilo guys won. The ones who said that there had been nothing, and then God spoke, and there was something. That's how most of us learned it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's even some complaint in scientific discourse that the Big Bang theory of the origin of the universe is too much influenced by the Christian doctrine of creatio ex nihilo. In that the initial singularity from which everything that is is supposed to have emerged in the Big Bang is more like nothing than something, a singularity of nothing that becomes something and then becomes everything. It's worth noting that the opening verses of the Genesis 1 poem do not say there was nothing in the beginning. There was something, actually, but that something was weird. And wild, kind of ominous, even sinister, nowhere we'd want to be. When God began creating the heavens and the earth, says our newer translation, heavens and the earth being everything that is, the way our ancestors understood it. When God began creating the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters so if we're taking inventory from the first two verses of Genesis 1 we've got complete chaos darkness the deep the waters it's not nothing it's just a mess so that for a while Over several days of creation, God is working with what God's got. Yes, there is a let there be light moment to kick things off. And isn't that the first thing a sighted person does when they begin a creative project? If you're a manicurist, it's the lamp on the table directed at the hand you're holding If you're a fiber artist, a jigsaw puzzler, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, you illuminate the workspace so your eyes and hands can work together. So having lit up the complete chaos of all that exists, God begins to do something that we have mostly missed about the creation story. God begins to separate and gather, putting things in order into their designated places and then telling them to stay there because it's good. Day one, the light does not replace the darkness, but maybe it overwhelms it. So God pushes each to its own corner. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. That's day one. Day two, God gets to work on the waters The waters can't have all the room in the universe, God says, and so divides them with the sky in between. So God made the dome and separated the waters below from the waters above and called the dome sky. That's day two. Day three, God wants the dry land to have a chance to breathe. So God contains all the waters below into their rightful place. Let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And God called the gathered waters seas and the dry land earth. Day four. The most astonishing day of the six, in my opinion. When, do you have a favorite day of the six days? Day four is my favorite. I don't know. When God creates time itself, sun and moon and stars govern and mark the passage of time, a linear and cyclical sequence of existence from moment to moment one moment to the next let there be lights God says to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and days and years and let them separate the light from the darkness and it was so now note that we are through day four of only six A full two-thirds of the poet's imagined time frame for the creation of the entire cosmos. And far more often than God has snapped God's fingers to make something out of nothing, God has surveyed the raw and chaotic cooked spaghetti of the universe and has brought it into the kind of order that will eventually support that which is God's specialty. Life, abundant and gorgeous in all the spaces that God has made ready. Land, sea, sky, each area eventually sprouting and teeming and spilling over with fecund, fertile fu- But we have guests tonight fecund, fertile, frolicking creatures who have no idea all the preparatory work that has made this place so wonderfully inhabitable. By day five, fish and birds. Day six, coyotes and crickets and homo sapiens. God has been sorting things out for ages, getting ready for them all. That image of God sorting things out pulls me toward Ezekiel's metaphor in chapter 34 that Tim helped us read. God as a shepherd who seeks scattered sheep. Remember Israel's own scattering, the exile and enslavement during which the poetry of Genesis and the prophecies of Ezekiel took shape. The prophet says that God will search for God's sheep and sort them out. God will rescue them from the chaotic, thick darkness. Sounds like that primordial darkness of Genesis 1. Seeking and then gathering them, bringing them home, and sorting them again, doing triage on their little sheep bodies, binding up wounds over here, strengthening the weak over there, making sure everybody, every last one, gets enough to eat. The shepherd could just as well be a parent, calling kids in for dinner at dusk, making sure that all the hands are washed and all the noses blown and all skinned knees disinfected and given a healing kiss, then seating the family around a table set with soup bowls and spoons, a winter menu of beans and cornbread already prepared for this family. Or the parent could just as well be a manicurist with a special set of little tools for pushing back cuticles and clipping hangnails, digging out the daily accumulation of grunge from under the fingernails, smoothing the calluses, filing away the excess, rounding the shape of these little shells that protect the tips of our sensitive digits. Or the manicurist could be God separating and gathering, sorting out, bringing order to chaos, light from dark, sky from sea, water from land, moment from moment, making ready this world for all the life that is about to burst on the scene. If you've known me a while, you probably know that when I was very young, my grandmother told me that she could never respect anyone who did not make their bed every day. I've, I've talked about it in therapy. I'm fine. It's fine. And I am not going to lay that yoke across your heavy laden shoulders. But I will say, I will testify that that dictum from my grandmother, rest in peace, Gaynell, it has served me well. In seasons of intense anxiety, making my bed is a ritual that calms my mind and spirit. In seasons of worse than usual depression, making my bed literally prevents me from getting back into it to doze the day away. In seasons of way the hell too much to do, making my bed gives me a simple, standard place to start. It frees me to think about the very next thing I'm going to do, and then the next, rather than everything all at once. The bed, the dishes in the sink, the brushing of my teeth, the washing and dressing of my body, and eventually, in good time, the email. In her little book, Quotidian Mysteries, the Protestant mystic Kathleen Norris explores the housekeeping work of medieval Catholic contemplatives who viewed the peeling of vegetables the sorting of dried beans, the washing of dishes, the quotidian tasks for keeping a monastery up and going as essentially spiritual work, as prayerful as the recitation of psalms in the sanctuary. Norris meditates on how women's work in the still very gendered way that many households are managed, is belittled by our culture but should be elevated to the highest place by the church as it mimics god's own separating and gathering work on those early days of the earth's creation i especially love her ruminations on laundry on the sorting of garments by the brightness of the dyes and the heaviness of the cloth And then after the careful washing and drying, the warm piles of clothing and towels tumbled onto the made bed, one item at a time then shaken out and folded or hung, matched and stacked and eventually carried to dressers and closets in various rooms to be stowed neatly away until the next time they will be selected and worn by the human beings who need them. Laundry, Norris says, is an act of supreme care for creation. Indeed, it is the recreation of the world by the reordering of chaos. A reverent act of worship in honor of the God who started it all in the beginning in Genesis 1. And, I would add because I've been reading Ezekiel alongside Norris and Ryland and Genesis 1. The ordering of the laundry, the making of the bed, the care for the fingernails, not only are they a mimicry of the originary sorting out in Genesis, but they are also practice for our partnership in the ongoing sorting out that God is still doing. And for which God seeks our participation. The prophet describes the creative act of seeking scattered, suffering, skinny sheep to lay them down in green pastures beside still waters so they can eat. And let us not forget, the shepherd also sorts out the strong sheep. Knowing, as God does, that their sleek, sturdy, Babylonian imperial bodies have been fed on the exploitation of God's beloveds. God has prepared a meal for those imperial sheep, too. God will feed them with justice, the prophet says. And because they have not hungered and thirsted for justice, it will destroy them. And so we find in the early days of creation, according to Genesis, the whispered call for our own ordering work in the world. As God's eventual partners in loving and tending to the earth, human beings are called into service as separators and gatherers, seekers and sorters of sheep, so that the chaos toward which all things tend, according to the law of entropy will be intentionally disrupted and dispelled, and creation returned to the order God instigated and God insists upon. This ordering we call justice, the bringing into balance that which is out of whack, the justice, in food distribution systems, for example, so that no one goes hungry on a planet that for now still has the capacity to feed everyone enough healthful food for the flourishing of their bodies. The justice in health care systems, likewise, so that better and worse care does not depend on wealth or whiteness or your gender identity as a cisgender person. The justice in education, same, so that every kid in every neighborhood gets a chance with enough thoughtful attention to neurodiversity to make sure we're actually not leaving any child behind. The justice in the justice system, imagine that, so that we reverse the chaos of mass incarceration of black and brown bodies and the criminalization of poverty. I could go on, this part could go on, see? Because as much as Genesis 1 is about the miracle of God dreaming up beautiful stuff that did not exist before, and it is that, it is also about God having an opinion about how all this beautiful stuff is supposed to work, how it fits together, how it is arranged just so for the balance and harmony required for all life to flourish, for us to flourish for the whole human family, when God gets around to day six, to flourish. And when the bed is made, and the laundry put away, and the fingernails painted, when the hungry are fed, and the wounded are bound up, and the scattered sheep are safely home, when the luminaries in the sky take us from day into night and back again, We can say with God, beautiful, and mean it.
1: Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on share with us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.